0: Good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a Pen and a Napkin Podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to our interview series, episode number two hundred and ten. And this week we are doing something really different. We've, we've, I don't know. I'm very confident we've never had this type of guest on the pod. So, uh, Tyler, you're you're one of two hundred and ten. You are the outlier, my friend. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that, uh, Tyler Bird. Uh, who is a a, a a counselor, a psychologist? Uh, he calls himself the Think Shrink, and he works with Complete Wellness here in Omaha. And I've known Tyler for a few years, and uh, he came up to a, uh, a a workshop day up at my school, and we started talking. And, you know, kind of got reacquainted there a little bit. I'm like, hey, Tyler, you need to come on the podcast, my man. and, and he was like. Sure, that sounds good. So we've been circling each other the last couple of weeks, and we're finally able to get something down here, but... Before we get to Tyler, we, of course, want to thank our founding sponsor, COSAC Chiropractic, located at 14450 Eagle Run Drive here in Omaha. Coaches, if you or any of your athletes are struggling with balance, neck, or spinal issues, have them go see Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi at COSAC Chiropractic. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. We try to put out daily coaching tidbits on their Twitter handle, so be sure to follow us there. Again, I know I've been terrible at that. My own team is just... its its uh, we're we're in the postseason play. I know I haven't put much on when it comes to the napkins. My apologies, people. I will get back to back to that. Hopefully not for a while. I'm going to be honest with you. Hopefully not for a while. But let's see where it goes here. So, uh, if you're listening, if you're on Spotify, if you're on iTunes, download, rate, review, give it five stars. Uh, be sure to to let folks know about a pen and a napkin podcast. If you do that. Uh, you know, people know about it when they look up coaching basketball podcasts, a pen and a napkin comes to the top or, or closer to the top than it would. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at penandandnapkin at gmail.com. Go check out a, pen and a napkin.com. It's got a lot of really good coaching resources on there. I'd like to think that because I am the one that made it, and I'm really proud of it. So, coaches, go check it out. Yeah, enough of that stuff. Let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Mr. Tyler Bird, how are you this fine evening?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks
0: for having me. Ah, should be a good evening here, uh, Tyler. We, uh, you know, like I said, we've been circling each other the last few weeks here, and and uh, great to have you on. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna start this the, the the way that we normally do for for folks that don't know a lot about Tyler Bird. Uh, tell us ab- about yourself, uh, where you came from, uh, your sports journey, how you got into psychology and, and, and counseling, and uh, just kind of yeah, your 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 journey in this field.
1: Awesome. I can do that. We'll see how much of an outlier I am. Uh, I do like being an outlier.
0: Um, um, Malcolm Gladwell I, outlier type e- of thing. Exactly.
1: Player. It's it's one of my favorite books. Um, so that that probably starts a little bit about how I got into the psychology field a little bit. So I, I grew up in a house with a mom who was a school counselor and then became a private practice therapist. Um, so I guess you can call me a chip off the old block. Um, did everything I could to avoid the mental health field didn't want to be a therapist finally looked in the mirror one day and said you know what you're a therapist you might as well embrace it um and and i think really that came from kind of my journey as an athlete um i went to bennington high school um and graduated in 2008 um 2008 was the year that the uh, patriots went to the super bowl were undefeated and lost to the giants sorry if any patriots fans are losing um uh, you're, you're, you're talking to
0: one right now uh this might you be the it. shortest interview i've ever had so <laughs>
1: i was gonna say i here's my outlier kicked off before i could even get through my intro um that, that year we went uh 25 and 0 to the state championship and lost the state championship and i'll never forget a teammate Uh, right before that game said man i hope we're not the patriots and the rest was history i suppose so um had a good career at bennington really enjoyed it was fortunate to play with a lot of good um players was uh, i've been on a lot of good teams uh went to concordia university in seward and played there uh until 2012 um had a good career there was fortunate to play in a lot of really good basketball games um anyone from the midwest knows the g-pack uh it's a really competitive uh conference and really enjoyed my time there and that's really where i ended up realizing you know after basketball ends i'm gonna have to do something um so i was like you know what let's figure out what am i good at and realized i I really enjoyed the mental and emotional side of athletics side of performance and kind of started my journey into mental health uh started a group practice here in omaha in 2020, March of 2020. Uh, we all know what happened
0: mm-hmm. in
1: March of 2020. So I opened a practice. 14 days later, the pandemic hit. Um, <laughs> and I, I was a little worried at that time because uh, everything kind of went remote and went online. But I guess fortunately and unfortunately, all we've done is grow in size. Um, and during that journey too is when I started think performance coaching because I realized A lot of what we teach individuals in a a therapeutic capacity, a mental health reactionary component. Uh, If we gave people that in a more proactive approach, worked with athletes, we're seeing mental health in athletics more than we've ever seen it before. Uh, With social media, we see it a lot more. So I started, uh, I think, Shrink Performance Coaching, and that's kind of how I've started meeting more coaches and just really diving into. What do we do to keep kids psychologically healthy? Uh, what do we do to help teams perform at a higher level? And that's that's kind of been my journey from, from the early stages.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you, you've got a, a terrific story, Tyler. And, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Like you said, uh, you, were, you were more than pretty good. Uh, you, you've kind of been sandbagging yourself over the years that I've known you here. You scored over 1,000 points at Concordia. Am I correct with that? Yep,
1: yep. Yeah, I was fortunate so, to get 1,000 points in, in my uh, college career. Didn't yeah. quite get it in high school, but that's all right. There's a few more games in college,
0: though. Yeah, there is, there is. But, uh, yeah, you, you've always kind of sold I, – I don't want to say – like I said, I don't want to say you were sandbagging a little bit, but you might have been sandbagging a little bit on your own exploits. But uh, the, the reason why I say that is, uh, you, know, you, you had talked about how – you always enjoyed the mental aspect of it as a, as a player or it was something that you were passionate about. Uh, Just, just what are, what are some ways in which your, your own athletic experiences, how do you, how do you use that within your practice to uh, really put yourself, uh, you know, in the mind of, of the, the young athlete or the young person that you're, that you're talking to and trying to help out uh, through with, with whatever uh, issues or, or, uh struggles that they're going through.
1: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is you know kids kids relate a lot when you can say I've I've been there and done some of the things you've done even though I might not understand what you're going through. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned and and what I've brought from my experience just cuz I've played at a high level doesn't mean I understand what an athlete's going through just cuz I I tore my labrum in high school um, in football my senior year and then got it fixed after basketball season um, and have dealt with various injuries. Just because I've dealt with that doesn't mean I, I know exactly what you're going through. But when you have that relatability, kids tend to trust it a little bit more. Um, also, and I'm sure we'll get into this, me not being their parent, is, is it's a huge <laughs> advantage because I can say the same thing a parent says, but because I played college sports or I, I played at a high level or had a successful career, they can look up stats and say, Oh, he scored a thousand points or played in a state championship. He must know a thing or two, regardless of if I do it, it helps give me some credit. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think one of the other big things about what I've taken from my athletic career into my professional career is just how much sports teach us about being a, being a, a hardworking individual about, you know, all the life skills and all the the nuanced things we're going to do in life outside of athletics. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of sports are a great atmosphere for kids to learn how to succeed and fail. Um, and sometimes, you know, we all know failure is crucial to development and it's good for sports to teach us how to fail. We don't talk, I think, enough about what does it teach us about how to succeed as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think i've really been i've been fortunate to be on a lot of good teams and experience success and failure at a lot of different levels whether it's you know not making the cut on the travel team when i was in eighth grade or freshman year of high school and learning what hard work really looked like to get to that next level um, or you know missing out on a, a state uh, tournament bid when i was a sophomore and a junior and playing really high level competition. So that by the time I got there, my senior year, we, we kind of knew how to win and knew what it took to win. And then I think the other really big thing is just understanding how important culture is amongst a team and understanding what, what the benefit of a good culture is within a program and what a detriment poor culture can be, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about. I think the other really big thing is just understanding growth mindset versus fixed mindset, um, and then, just how much the mental and emotional health impact what happens as an athlete?
0: Mm-hmm. What's uh, what's some of the you know you, 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 culture, the buzzword, all that other stuff. But you, you're not part of a team per se. You Correct. talk to a lot of kids. You talk to teams. It, it, when it talks, when you, when you see a, a, a good culture, when you see a program that has built a a really good culture. What are what are two, three, four major pillars that you kind of see consistently across the board?
1: Yeah, uh, these, these are the things. Every team I've been fortunate enough to work with, uh, I think the, the consistent themes I see, number one is they've got a culture of accountability. They're, they've got individuals who are good at taking accountability for what they do. Um, and sometimes that means not taking accountability for what they haven't done. And mm-hmm. that's even harder, I think is to, if it's not something that I did, not take blame for that. But if it's something I did, I, I take accountability for it. Um,
0: so what would and, be an example of that, Tyler?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was big on if I made a pass and, and our guy didn't catch it, I would always say my fault, my fault. And I, I learned in my career, sometimes if I make a good pass and the other person drops it, I have to give feedback that says, hey, you have to catch that. And that's another part of Accountability is holding each other accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, if I take a bad shot early in the shot clock and I say my bad, everyone loves that player on their team, right? Mm-hmm. If I take a bad shot early in the shot clock and someone calls me out and I, I say, well, you weren't making any shots either, so I might as well shoot it, That that's a little bit different level of accountability that we don't like to see. Sure. Um, and, and I think another thing is, best teams that i've been around they know how to have fun and that's something that i think we've lost a little bit in the game is how do you find a program that has a lot of fun together because you know as well as anybody marty that basketball season is long it's stressful yep uh it's it's through cold and flu season so you're dealing with sickness there's injury there's so much emotion if you're not having fun to show up and get high school kids um or college kids, or even professional athletes, when they stop having fun, it becomes a job, and it becomes really, really hard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I think the last part is you have to have a really good discipline system because you have to show up when you don't want to. You have to be able to do the, the little things that create consistency, that create structure, that cre- create routine. And I think routine and consistency are, are Really big discipline components.
0: Mm-hmm. So the when you talk about routine, I guess one of the big things that pops into my head, and the players at times can resent this. And this is where you got to be. It's it's the art of coaching as opposed to the science of coaching. Uh, players get bored with practice, but yeah. you you also have to have the discipline of practice that okay, every day we're going to spend X amount of time working on box outs. We're going to spend X amount of time shooting the ball, whatever it may be. Uh, and so you have to have that routine, but you have to have, you have to do it differently, but still have the same routine. I think that's one of the biggest things that I really focus on when I'm putting together practice plans. Okay, we have to get uh, X amount of ball handling in. we got to work on closeouts every day, but how do we do it without it? You know, we need to have routine, but it can't be boring. And I, And I think that's... One of the things that a, a lot of coaches, the, the trap that we fall into, it's you recycle that practice plan for the 20th time, and you're actually hurting yourself by just doing the same thing over and over again. But you kind of have to do the same thing over and over again. And you have to sell your kids on embracing that routine. But, again, part of your job as the coach is you got to change up that routine as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it's one of the biggest paradoxes in coaching, right, is if you don't do the basic fundamental things – you set yourself up to be unsuccessful at the same time. If you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, we, we say it's the the colloquial definition of insanity, right? So it's, it's, it's how do you mix it up and keep it enjoyable and fun and keep your athletes engaged while still working on all the fundamentals that you have to do as a team. Um, one of the, the best coaches, I think I've been around and I, I never played for him. Um, but he would come in and work out with us when I was at Concordia as Drew Olson. And, and mm-hmm. I used to think he was crazy because I would go into the gym on a Saturday and the girls basketball team at Concordia would be dressed in outfits and they would they would do this like Hunger Games situation simulation because it was big at the time. And I I'll never forget one of the players on our team was like, oh, there's the silly girls again. His Teams are always ranked in the in the top twenty five. They always make deep runs in the tournament, and I think it's because, to your point, he's figured out how to keep the fundamentals fundamental, but he's figured out how to make sure when they need to have fun, they have fun, and his teams always perform well at the end of the year.
0: Mm-hmm. What's uh, what you know? Again, you, you I, I know you have uh, client, you know, uh, privacy issues and things like that. Uh, you know, so so Tyler, talk about what you're comfortable talking about here with the next question. Uh, what what are things that we need to know as as coaches about today's kid in in 2024? What are some of the big problems, uh, the biggest challenges? I guess I shouldn't say problems. The biggest challenges that are facing our, our young kids today that we as their their coaches and and you know, we want to be their mentors. We want to be transformational leaders for them. What do we need to know about to to help them out the uh, to the best of our abilities?
1: Yeah, great question. I think it's a lot of things that we probably already know, but hopefully I can shed some light into maybe some of the inner workings of that. I We all know social media is a huge, huge concern and challenge for kids, but I think it's what is it about social media? That's easy to throw the blanket statement, right? But I think there's two real big components, the first of which is that comparison game. Yep. It, it was it was relatively new to me when I was in school to have message boards, to have the online stuff. And I remember as a player reading, you know, 40, 50-year-old people behind a com- computer talking about myself or talking about other people. And I, I was fortunate enough to have parents that were basically like, Gonna read that anymore like stay off of it the problem is kids have access to way more and they can see way more and so much recruiting generated um highlight videos generated and this comparison game can start so i think that's challenge one and i think the second part that comes with social media is this instant gratification right yep. if if it doesn't feel good in the moment if i don't like the way it feels or if i don't get the result i'm looking for right away then is it really worth it to me and so many things come from failure failure consistency work hard growth learn and then all of a sudden it's like overnight we're like oh my gosh how did they get so good but we don't see all that behind the scenes work right Mm -hmm. we we all want to be the next Kobe bryant michael phelps bill and tom brady patrick mahomes i think it's these natural born people and sure there's some natural given talent there but I think hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard, right? Yep. And that's a huge component that we can say that to a kid, but until they experience that, they don't buy it. They don't believe it. Um, and and then the last part, I think, is, is expectation management. And I think that comes at three different levels, right? You've got a community expectation of how good a team's supposed to be. And I, I remember what that was like for myself when I was – I was fortunate enough to be in Bennington when we went from C2 when I was a freshman, sophomore in in football to my brother, who's three years younger than me, was a freshman when I was a senior. We were C1 my senior year, and then they were B by the time he was a junior. So we were growing really, really quick. But with that came a lot of expectation that we should win every game and win every game big. And that's a lot to ask for, you know, 15 to 18-year-old kids. Um, And that's the community level. Then you get all the parent expectation. Marty, you as a coach know it. Every coach in America knows parental expectation and and the challenge that comes with that. But then there's also this self-expectation. And that's an even harder thing to navigate, I think, with youth because sometimes their expectation is clouded by parents or community. And when you talk to a kid, they might not have the same expectation. So it's how do you open up that communication channel with them?
0: Hmm. Yeah. How do you do it?
1: That, that is that is such a great question. That's that's the sixty-four
0: thousand dollar question, or uh, if you're on yeah, a pen and a napkin, that's a sixty-four cent uh, question. There, so uh, that that's about all we can afford on our budget. So I would,
1: I would take the sixty-four cents, write the book, and then uh, <laughs> make make the sixty-four thousand right after it. Uh. Uh, and I think it's a probably a lot of what other other guests. I've talked about on, on this podcast is, you know, it's how do you create a connection, first of all? And I think you seek to understand, then be understood. And that's the biggest thing with the generational shift. I think we're past the days of, you know, you've, you've got this coach that you come in and I think of Coach K right away, everyone wants their kid to play for Coach K. And you come in, there's automatic respect. I think there's a little bit of a shift, and it's if you don't understand me as a person, then I'm not going to give you anything yet. And so I I think it's really seeking to understand the individual is how you open up some of those communications.
0: A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, a pen and a napkin.com. Be sure to check out the A Pen and a Napkin Video Library. Tyler, I love a, a, a quote on, one, uh, on your biography uh it is perception that creates our reality, and you were kind of talking about that just a second ago with introducing to the, the, the self, and and I think it's one of the hardest lessons that I learned as a head coach. When I was an assistant coach, man, it was easy to have all the answers, and everybody loves the assistant coach, and there, you know, all that other stuff, and then you become the head coach, and and you know even to this day you 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 say something uh and it's completely twisted the the, the wrong way uh whether it's you know how you how you call to play or or whatever it may be uh but you, you the, that perception is is others reality and it it really took me uh a couple of years to work my way through that mentally like okay I just have to uh, do the best that I can, and what, however, other people perceive it, uh, I can't really do anything about it. All I have to do is be able to look at myself in the mirror at at the end of the day or at the end of the season and say I I did this, that, and the other thing to the best of my ability. Uh, but yeah. it's it's hard. Uh, it's it's hard to to learn that, and uh, you know how how do we how do we balance that out as as coaches uh, to to not give in to other people's perceptions or worry too much about other others people's perceptions about our job and our job performance and and everything that we're trying to do
1: yeah it's 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 the travis kelsey from last night uh <laughs> everyone's got a perception on that right i yeah. i was so happy that we were doing this podcast uh tonight because what rich data we have from last night's super bowl that we can probably weave into this and and i think Perception is our reality is tough because there's a freeing aspect of that, that we control the narrative on our own life, right? So that's the self part of it. And that sounds really simple, but anybody who's ever worked with me or talked to me will know I say simple doesn't mean easy. A lot of things in life are simple, but they're very challenging to do. And so the first part is understanding that the narrative that I tell myself will impact my physical state, my emotional state, my mental state. All it, it has an all-encompassing feel to it. And then I think the secondary part of that is, then as a coach, how do I deal with the perception of my players, my the parents, the, the community? And, and I think one of the best ways to do that is, much like you've said, Marty, you, you kind of work through this. If I do the best that I can do, I trust the opinions that truly matter to me can I let go of some of those other perceptions and, and really work through that? And cognitively, I don't think people struggle with that near as much as they do emotionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll probably talk more about that too, of just what kind of emotional impact does that have? And how do I manage through the emotional state of that? Because we know those emotions are fleeting, but when we're in them, they can be really powerful and they can be really debilitating too. Mm-hmm.
0: What, you know, as you as you work with teams and a lot of times I'm guessing, Tyler, I I don't know. I mean, uh, you've probably seen all sorts of different teams. Some teams are that are uh, at a really, really good place, but they want to stay sharp. Uh, You've probably worked with programs that, uh, man, it it just it's a dumpster fire. Uh, There's there's a lot of things going on here Uh, from from your uh, point of view. What are what are two three four mistakes that coaches make that you look at and go boy that's you know that's a that's an easy one to fix or that's that's something that you shouldn't be doing what you know what are what are some of the the common mistakes that you see made by coaches that maybe we don't even realize that we're making uh but but they need to be avoided and and how can we avoid them
1: yeah yeah great question i i think the first thing that i i comes to mind is focusing on outcome over effort or growth i think we get really caught up in wins losses we get really caught up in you know success and failure and and i think it takes away from relationship with your kids i think it takes away from the overall culture of your program um i think the other big one that comes to mind is focusing on the non-controllables focusing too much on what's outside of your realm of control what's outside of your program whether it's the team you're facing instead of your own team whether it's the perception of others versus your, the perception of yourself and your team um and then i think the other big one that i think is is relatively addressable is w- language the language you use with your team um versus like positive versus negative language a, a lot of times when I come to work with teams, there will be this kind of theme of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And really it's how do we shift that to positive of here's the effort I want to see. Here's what I would like to see you do. Um, best example I can give is everyone knows this. Everyone listening to this podcast can relate. You step to the free throw line, down one shooting one in one with five seconds left. First thought that pops into our head. Are you Marty? Don't miss. Don't miss. Right. Yeah. And, And everyone knows that we can't control that thought that comes in our head. If as a teammate or a coach, you say don't miss, what you're telling kids to do is miss, essentially, because our brain doesn't interpret that negative language. The reverse of that is, hey, make the shot, step up with confidence. Mm -hmm. We know from research we're gonna perform better when we focus on that positive language. So I talk a lot with teams about differentiating. Positive language doesn't mean you're the best team ever you're going to beat everybody. I'm not talking fake language or or fake affirmation or anything like that. Just wording what you want to see your team do and staying away from what you don't want to see them do. The other one, don't foul. I love it at the end of games. Whenever I see a coach in, in, like, stress situations say, don't foul, don't foul, I can almost guarantee you somebody is going to reach or somebody's going to bump and they're going to put the official in a position to make a call. And if you said that, the official hears don't foul, which means the last thing they hear is foul. So, It's play straight up, it's keep your person in front of you, it's stay a foot away. If you're up four with four seconds left, it's stay away from them. So you're wording positive language versus negative language. Um,
0: So if we said... Uh, this comes yeah. from um, uh, 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 this is my nickel's worth of, of free advice from you here tonight, Tyler. So if we said no threes, no free throws, is is that positive enough, or do I need to rephrase that?
1: So it it is it's it's okay because you're telling the team what to do. Uh, I, I if you want to really make it positive, it's bend the three point line. Uh, make, make them shoot a layup. Mm-hmm. like that make them shoot sure a layup. keep your hands up um so what you want to do I, I think the hard part is all your athletes know no threes and no free throws they know what that means so if it works have them translate it back to you
0: okay all right all right just i i i hope we don't have to use that one uh you know for for a while yet but uh You know, just
1: be up, just be up by like five or six and then it doesn't matter. Right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Let me just, let let me just make that perception, my reality as well. There we go. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, you know, we, uh, you know, talking about those situations, those high stress, high pressure situations, I think you kind of touched on it there, Tyler, you know, how do we help our players reduce performance anxiety? You know, I, uh, you know, most people, now in high school basketball, like we had talked about, uh, we're entering into the postseason, or they're wrapping up the regular season here. Uh, for college coaches that are listening, they're getting down into the stretch run. They're, they they want to get into the madness of March. Uh, so so how do we reduce that performance anxiety when we when we get into these pressure moments? Uh, you you had talked about positive language and things like that. You know, is uh, is there anything we can do in practices? Is there anything that we can do in in uh, in our pregame talks or or whatever it may be?
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot of this starts, and you see a lot of it in, in research right now. You see a lot of it in social media. Is Everything starts with the breath, right? So the first thing you have to master is your breathing, which, again, this sounds so stinking simple. But every, every good team I've been around, the best players, they can, they can manage their breathing. They can manage throughout change, uh, throughout tension and they can really regulate their breathing to keep their heart rate under control. It keeps their mind from racing. And so I do a lot of breathing exercises with the teams that I work with. It's the first thing I do and, and really get teams comfortable with knowing how to breathe and practicing that when they're calm is more important than trying to implement that when everything gets chaotic, because then it's your body's natural response. I personally, since, the age of probably 13 14 I've done the same breathing routine and exercise every night before bed so anytime I face stressful situations before this podcast because I know there's going to be a little bit of nerves with that <laughs> um, I'll sit down and I'll take two minutes and I just do a breathing exercise to get my body to a calm state so that when it does elevate it doesn't elevate as much as it could elevate um, I think the other part I'll say is that challenging the thinking and focusing on the po- positive language. The other part is how do we get our teams and ourselves to manage emotion? It, Travis Kelsey is such a perfect example. Last night, I think the, the biggest mistake he made obviously was it became physical and he, he shot Andy Reid and everyone's going to have their perception on, on what that means. And it's how do you manage that emotional impulse in the moment because that can go really positive and that can go really negative for you. So I I think when things get really tense, it's stressful and it's the end of game situation. The biggest thing I tell coaches is focus on facts. Uh, Russell Wilson is a really good example of this. There's some good literature out there on him working with basically a, a mental performance coach. He talks about, Instead of the what if game, instead of we need to hit a three and then we gotta get a stop and foul and hopefully they miss one, it's down four, we need to go score. And then you go score and you figure it out from there. And so it's you take it one play at a time and you Mm -hmm. focus just on what the facts are. Uh basketball's a game of runs, right? Yep. When you are when you're on a run, it's the greatest feeling in the world. You feel unstoppable when the other team is on a run, it literally feels like there's nothing you could do. So I think the best coaches can take timeouts and they can focus on the facts of where it is. It's a 10 point game. Here's where we're at. And then the second part of it is, I think you you have to convince your team. Here's what your ability is. And here's how we do that. If you go to, we're not playing to our potential or we're, we're 50 points better than this team but we're down 10 the gap is so far there that it's really hard mm-hmm. if you focus on hey come down we're going to get a stop here and then we're going to go score a basket and then it's stop and score stop that's how i think you you mitigate some of that and you really have to focus on that controllable action and really the controllable effort
0: yeah you know, i i remember and this had a big effect on me tyler uh it was like the first year that the the Warriors won this is before Kevin Durant and uh all those guys and I, and I was watching Kerr coach a game and they had the, one of those uh the microphone inside the huddle thing or something like that and uh it was it was right after halftime and and Kerr said something and they were down like 18 or something like that which in the NBA I get it you know that can be be erased in in 4 minutes you know but you know, they hadn't played well in the first half. And he just got his guys together and he said, Hey, look, let's just get three stops in a row and then let's see what happens. Let's just yep. get three stops in a row and then let's see what happens. Let's let's play off of that. But let's string together three stops in a row and then let's let's see what happens from there. And you know, and again, it helps having Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and all those guys. But you know, of course, they ended up coming back and winning the game, and that was always just a a little something that that stuck into my head. Where you know you're down ten or or this and that. Hey, look, just let's just relax. Let's get a stop here, uh, or it's our ball. Hey, let's just focus on getting a great shot here. Let's knock it down, and then let's 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 get the momentum back on our side. And I think those are things that. Uh, I struggled with early in my career and I think it's something that you know you got to go through some battles you got to you got to collect some scars as a coach to really learn those things and, and lord knows I'm not perfect but I I'd like to think I've, I've you know gotten much better at that verbiage by focusing things in that direction rather than oh my gosh you know this that and, and then you get all riled up and and the next thing you know everything goes to crap yep yep I I think
1: it, it- one of the things this is a a personally relevant story and it's very similar to what you're talking about. Um, I, I was a freshman at Concordia and I had started the year really, really well. And then midway through the year, I just stopped playing. Um, no real conversation about why I wasn't playing anymore, but the team was winning. Um, and then we got to the end of the year and it was, we were at Briar cliff in the, uh, second round of conference tournament and, we, we get down 26 to five and i'll never forget forget <laughs> coach looks at our assistant coach he goes well this one's over bird go ahead and i went in the game and i remember just talking to a couple of the guys on the team and i was like just hit a couple shots let's see what happens got nothing to lose at this point we ended that game i believe 19 of 25 from three as a team and we won 101 to 99 in overtime or 101 to 97 i can't remember exactly but it's a good example of instead of looking at a 21 point deficit and thinking oh my gosh we have so much to overcome i remember just shooting every shot and being like well if this goes in we got another chance to shoot another one next time Um, and it's a it's a good example of that and i think that probably taught me a lot about how important it is to stay in the moment versus get caught up in the emotional overwhelm.
0: Well, you're fortunate to come out of the Newman Flanagan Center with a win no matter what uh, as as a briar as a Briarcliff grad i'm i'm uh I'm a uh, you know a little stunned that somebody would walk into the hallowed halls of the Newman Flanagan Center and get the dub but I'll, I'll give you that one, bird. How about that?
1: I'm 0 for 2. I've already brought up the the Patriots (laughs) and brought up the the prior so I'm I'm doing great so far. I'm really the outlier
0: now. Coaches are absolutely loving our taking over a new program booklet. As many of you know, I spent two years outside of coaching, and during that time, I hung a note card in my workspace at school that said, Strip the house down to the studs. I took that time to really rethink and reorganize my thoughts on what it takes to run a transformational program. As I prepared for the possibility of coaching again, I organized these thoughts into this 96-page booklet. How much do I trust this booklet? I used this booklet as I went on interviews to help sell myself and my vision for what my new program would look like. If I'm using it to sell myself, why wouldn't I recommend it to you, my listeners? This booklet will help you look at any part of your program, no matter what stage you're at in your program, and help improve it in some way. It's all yours for only $15, which includes shipping and handling. For more information, email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Tyler, at this time, we uh, we do the John Wooden quote of the day. I, I uh, have the book Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations, and each week uh, I just pick out a random passage uh, from the book, sometimes it's shorter, sometimes it's a little longer, it just depends. And uh, I read the quote to the guest, and and then we kind of you know chop it up a little bit and talk about it. And uh, I think you know Wooden, along with Don Meyer, are the two greatest basketball coaches ever. Uh, and, and so uh, we we always we the first hundred episodes it was the Don Meyer quote of the day, and now for the last hundred and ten or so it's been the John Wooden quote of the day. So uh, are you ready, uh, Mr. Bird, Not for? It. The John Wooden Quote of the Day. Yeah, let's do it. All right. From page... Oh, gosh, I can't read it now. Page 94. That's a Briarcliff education for you right there, too. So, <laughs> uh, uh, From page 94 of Wooden, A Lifetime of Observations, the John Wooden Quote of the Day is, Don't measure yourself by what you're accomplished, but rather by what you have accomplished with your abilities. I think I... I think I screwed that up here. Don't measure yourself by what you've accomplished. It should be by what you've accomplished. So I butchered the again. Chalk one up for the Harvard of the Heartland uh, <laughs> on the northwest side of Sioux City. Don't measure yourself by what you've accomplished, but rather by what you, sh- but you, what you have accomplished with your abilities.
1: Yeah, love it. Um, it, it. my first reaction to that is it fits a lot with that comparison mentality we talked about earlier right and yeah don't focus on that that outcome and don't don't get outcome dependent right but focus more on, on what you've been able to do with your ability and how do you continue to I- expand that ability and and grow and learn and i i think i love the quote too that comes to mind with this in conjunction is you know the the more you know the less you realize what you actually know um, and so i think it's Focusing on on what your abilities are and and being able to use that to accomplish what you can versus looking at success as your identity.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think that yeah, you know the you know comparison is the thief of joy. And if you, you know, if you're comparing yourself with Coach Coach Johnson from down the street at West High or whatever it may be you know, that's, that's part of it as well. You, you just got to focus on your team. And, and, and I know we, we all go into every season going, you know, we should, you know, I feel like we should win X amount of games this year or, or this or that. And I think uh, one of the things that I did a very poor job of when I was a younger head coach was uh, just focusing on what this team could accomplish. It was, uh, it was a little bit more outcome-based um I don't think I was horrible at it but I'm not as good at it or I wasn't as good at it as as I am now I don't believe and and I think some of that came from you know taking over a program that had struggled and Mm -hmm. you know it wasn't about making the state tournament it was just literally hey can we string together eight good minutes of basketball and just play a good quarter Uh, uh or whatever it may be and and so I think that that helped me realize you know to focus on just the step by step process and building it up step by step rather than just face uh, you just worried about that outcome and well if we if we win 18 games and we go to the state tournament, I must have done a great job. Uh, no you know I, I think sometimes you can have a team and you can take that team and win six games and man you did a you did a masterful job coach uh, you, you had you had one or two win talent and you won six games. That's a tremendous job, and I think sometimes you know that that scoreboard uh drives that way of thinking for us as coaches and and we we unfortunately lose ourselves in that and and it's hard to do that's why they keep score I get that but we we have to keep the focus on what we can accomplish and instead of what we feel like we should have accomplished
1: yeah absolutely i th- i think that the end goal I talk to a lot of people about that I work with is is to to get the to the end of whatever it is competition game end of life really and know you put everything out there because I think it's hard to regret something when you give everything you have and and you can you can handle failure and loss when you know you put the effort in mm-hmm. it's when you get to the end even when you win if you didn't put the effort in. It just doesn't have the same reward, so I, I think it speaks a lot to that of being able to give everything you have.
0: Mm-hmm. well, let's dive into some you see usually at this time tyler we we go into the coach starts talking about his defensive transition philosophy or or uh, you know what kind of sets they like to run and all you know we get into the basketball nerd stuff uh, yep. but I, I thought with your situation, uh, we'll get into the basketball nerd stuff what we're gonna talk about. Building teams and building leaders and, you know, things that we can do. I think uh, one of the things that I really focused on when I took my two years off was to really focus on how to develop leaders because here's the trap that I know I fell in. Well, you're seniors now. You should be leaders. Okay. Well, what have I done to teach you how to be a leader? And man, did that hit me like a hacksaw Jim Duggan two by four to the side of the head. Uh, what, what had we done? How we how had we educated our kids on how to be leaders, how to handle situations, how to lead a team? Uh, and, and I know that's something that, you know, in my new job, we have spent a lot of time focused on developing leaders, grades nine through 12, not just expecting seniors to be leaders. And so, you know... I I think that's one of the great questions that I'm sure you get is how to develop team leaders, how to have your, uh, your, your, you know, your best player or whatever it may be, whether, you know, and and we'll use basketball, but, but, uh, you know, how do you get those? How do you develop players? How do you develop young people to be leaders in a world where, a lot of parents have been the lawnmower parents where games are scheduled for them, where there's always referees that have to make the tough decisions on the calls and, and all of those different things. We, In some ways, we've taken a lot of leadership in sports out of our kids' hands because they don't have to organize the games, they don't have to call the fouls, they don't have to call the balls and strikes, they... Uh, you know, the adults in some ways have kind of screwed it up for the kids in, in a lot of regards. So, but yet we expect them to be leaders and we want them to be leaders. So, so how do we, how do we develop leaders within our programs and, and uh, so that we can, you know, so that they can lead the team to the place that, that they want them to to lead them to?
1: Yeah, uh, it's, you know, As you talk a lot of things that come to mind are this is this is probably what i've worked with teams on the most is how do you identify not just the culture of your team but how do you identify the leadership of your team because teams that are really successful they have great leadership and coaching will take you to a certain level but at the end of the day you're you're on the sideline of what happens on the court there comes a point where you, you're going to default to the leader on the court as well. Um, and I think the first step to creating good leaders is you give them an, an environment and a space to kind of solve that amongst each other. Um, and what I mean by that is, like you said, you let them play pick-up ball a little bit. You let them just pick teams and go play, and you kind of start to see is carrying, whose who's actions are, are generating a little bit more activity from the other players. Like Who is everybody following? Um, and sometimes that I think is just you pick two people, you pick the teams, and then you roll the ball out, and you just sit and observe and watch. And, and you have an environment where you can do that as a coach. I think the other thing from a team-building exercise that you can do is do something non-basketball related. I, I go back to to coach uh, Drew Olson and I, I've actually never had this conversation and now I'm going to call him or email him and ask him this. But I think that's part of what he was doing with some of those fun games he was doing is he was figuring out who's the leader on his teams and and who are they responding to. And I'll go in and do a board game or I'll play, I'll have them do some exercise or activity where they, they have to work together and becomes pretty evident who your vocal leader is it becomes pretty evident who your emotional leader is um and who your verbal or not just verbal but your actionable leader is when that leader is all three of those are the same person it's awesome those are your pat mahomes of the world those are your tom brady's of the world um your maybe your steph curry's of the world because they really hit all three of those those are pretty rare right yep you usually have a team that's made up of a few different leaders and so whether it's board games um, when I was growing up it was video games but it wasn't online where remote in from different houses it was we're all in the same house and we're passing the controller back and forth and you're starting to see you know who's the leader here who's taking charge Um, and I think another big thing that I really like is a culture where you have open communication with your team and you have check-ins because so much as a coach especially in basketball happens outside of your gym and they bring that into your practice um mark kruger at, at millard west i've been fortunate enough to work with him and his team um I haven't this year, and I hope I me talking about it doesn't jinx anything because they're playing phenomenal right now. Despite despite with, Kruger's
0: leadership, they are doing well. Yes, I would agree with that.
1: It. You're <laughs> right. Um, but but I, I had worked with them the past two years. Um, and one of the things he he had talked about was just having a system where his girls could say, here's the emotion I feel today, and maybe not have to explain it, but just know, she might need a little more support today because she's feeling a certain way and they have a whole system built. And I don't think it worked. It works now in year one, but what it's been is consistent. It's been routine. And now you have girls who have done that from the time they were freshmen to now they're juniors and seniors. So they know the system. And And he had some really good uh, juniors and seniors that bought in that could implement that. And when you start talking transformational program, you don't do that day one, right? You do yeah. that year four, five, six, and beyond. And so I think those are some of the things you can do. And then, last part of this, I think, is you have to create discomfort in your team in order to find leadership because growth, adversity, or growth happens through adversity. And if you help your athletes and your team understand that stress can act, actually enhance performance. I think you're, you buy in differently and you start to get excited about stress versus this whole stress is bad. It ruins team chemistry. Sometimes stress is exactly what you need to break out of a slump and start to figure out who's really bought in and invested and what does real work look like.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so can you manufacture, what are ways you can manufacture that stress at times, you know, like, like in a situation like Kruger's team. And again, you know, Mark's done a great job. Mark, Mark was just on the pod a couple of weeks ago, so oh, uh, so 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 we'll just use Kruger's team as an example. They're nineteen and one, something like that, and and they're playing really really well. Uh, but I'm sh- you know I'm I'm sure sometimes the 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 seasons that you're most nervous is when everything's going well, and yeah. and and so you get to kind of a couple weeks out before postseason play, and you're like. Man, we we need a little something here to to uh, you know, we need one more wall to to punch ourselves through here. So what are some things that you would recommend for basketball coaches to uh perhaps create a little manufactured stress to to help the team grow in a situation where maybe the scoreboard or the opponent is not helping us grow enough.
1: Yeah. Um so this is where your practices get really valuable, right? Um, start manufacturing calls and making it really tough on your offense. Um, I, I'm going to use a couple of things we did when we had a, a really good run my senior year uh, that I think manufactured some of that stress. And I remember as a, a major, I hated it. I thought it was the most unfair thing ever. Um but one of the things we did was we would always do a six-on-five press break. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I know our coach would tell him, foul every chance you can, do whatever you want. And we get really upset every time we turned it over. And we quickly learned the more we complained, the longer we did the drill. The more we focused on controlling what we can and doing what we, we have to do to break the, the press – the, the better we got at it and the quicker it got over. Um, so I think that's one way to manufacture stress. I think another thing we did is he would turn the music on so loud, we couldn't hear him and he would call things out and then he'd stop the music and ask why we didn't run it. And it, it took us a little while to to figure out it's because we can't hear anything and we need to learn to trust each other and, and play together a little bit more. Um, and then that's all on the court stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I think, one of the things I like to do towards the end of the year, and I've done it with every um, program I've worked with. I've I've done it with uh, Millard West. I've done it with Roncalli football back when I worked with them. I've done it with Bennington football. Um, I'll create basically an accountability system and I'll have the the kids sit down and I'll have them write down. What's one thing you want to do from now until the end of the year that you want to do from a, basketball, football, fill in the sport, what's one thing you want to commit to that's within your control that you're going to do every day from here on out? And then I add in there, I say, what's one thing off the court, off the field that you're going to do that you're going to commit to to focus that's a good effort, skill, or something we've talked about that you're going to commit to doing off the court or off the field? And I have them write it down. And then They'll sit on it for a little bit. I'll have them look at it. And then I'll say, okay, pair up with somebody, hand them your card. This is your accountability partner. Now you've given them permission to call you out on this if they don't see you doing this. That manufactures probably more stress than you can ever imagine because now you've given your word to somebody else of what you're going to do. And I, I think the the movie When the Game Stands Tall, it's the De La Salle football program. Mm-hmm. They do this at the beginning of the year and they they create this culture where you're accountable to each other and you give each other permission to call each other out. Every program trusts that the coach is gonna call you out if you're not doing the right thing. When it's your peer, especially in high school, college, it feels different, right? And now now you've not only been called out by a peer, which is gonna create hostility and, and defensiveness, what I find is you also get a supportive part of it too, where it's expensive at first, and then they say, Hey, I'm trying to help you here. I'm here to help you achieve this goal. And then also when they see you working hard, they say, Hey, you really gave it your all at practice today. And and I really appreciate that you held true to your word. Few things are more rewarding than peer validation. And so you create that additional stress. And it just it unlocks a new potential, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to a pen and a napkincom a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our A Pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links a full catalog of every a pen and a napkin podcast and ways to contribute to the growth of a pen and a napkin, a pen and a napkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. I absolutely love that Tyler. That is, that is, that's gold right there that you got my mind spinning for next season, even though this season isn't over yet. So I, I, I think that's I great. You. So, um, let's talk about and you kind of went on that with the with the peer accountability thing uh any other team building exercises that that you would be willing to share here on the platform
1: yeah as weird as this sounds um bust a board game out bust out yahtzee um i i'm i'm a big proponent of using play uh we we know that you know there's you can sit and talk to people over and over and over again, right? And yep. we know you've got to hear a message seven times in seven different ways from seven different people, but we also know it takes about 400 repetitions to create a new synapse in the brain. Unless it's done in play, it takes about 10 to 20 repetitions. So when you think about that, if you're trying to teach your team selflessness, sacrifice, if you're trying to teach your team hey, it takes a group effort. Find a game where they have to work together, do it 10 to 20 times. They've already learned what you would have to tell them 400 times. So, and and that's, I think, the other thing when I go back to some of these coaches I've seen use some type of play or something non-basketball specific, it unlocks some of that that childhood nature of all of us. And then we realize, you get to the end of the game and it's like, oh my gosh, just like, when I'm, you know, trying to play defense, I have to box out through the whistle in order to get the rebound. Just like I have to roll and roll and roll until I get a
0: Yahtzee. Yahtzee, Yahtzee dice have been thrown at the Plum House. I'm, I'm just I'm just gonna <laughs> <Leave
1: that. laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, not as bad as Uno, uh, but 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 still, you know, it, it, it's uh, it, it, it's not quite a contact sport. But there's there's been flying materials around the house, so. Um, uh, here's, here. and I will,
1: I will tell you, if you want to manufacture stress, pull out Uno and watch high schoolers go after each other.
0: <laughs> we can do that. We did, uh, we did a, uh, a, a service, uh, activity early in the season. We, we have, a a small retirement community in Fort Calhoun. And so we went up there and spent a couple hours with, uh, some of the residents and, uh, one of the one of the or a small group of girls were playing Uno with some of the residents, and oh yeah, it 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 got a little it got it got a little heated, you know, good I, natured I heating, it. but 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 it was good. So
1: that was their biggest loss of the year. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh,
0: let's let's end on this, Tyler, uh, and, and this is uh, maybe the the toughest thing uh, that a lot of coaches have to work through. Um, it's, it's the, you know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the ring, uh, the ring of power, uh, that, that Frodo had, um, that he was trying to protect, uh, and, and it's the most powerful thing you could probably have as, as a coach. Uh, what are ways, you know, we, uh, what are ways that coaches and parents can get on the same page? Uh, what are ways that, that coaches can work with, parents and this that's another verbiage that I picked up along the years here instead of saying I have to work uh you know we we have parents or whatever blah 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 uh I always I always try to say hey how can we work with parents to reach a common goal here uh which is we want we both want your child to have a great experience uh if we happen to win some games along the way that's that's gravy uh but but let's have a great experience uh, what what are some ways? What are some activities? What are some pieces of advice that you have for for coaches that may be struggling with uh, a certain group of parents or there's there's a certain class? You know, oh man, my sophomore parents, I've just got three or four big headaches there or. Uh, you know, instead of taking that attitude, how can we turn that around into a positive situation? How, how can we uh, take those situations and, and make it into a positive and, and hopefully not even get to that point to where uh, as, as soon as parents walk into our programs, uh, they feel it's a, it's a positive environment, it's a good environment, it's a safe envir- environment for their child to, 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 to be in, and, and they're, they're going to have that great experience.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably the magic question, um, and I think it's, you know, it's shifted a lot, right? I, I think when, even when I think back to when I played to now, I, I think the landscape has shifted. Parents have always had an influence, right? Yep. Um, but but I think it's, it, there's, it's so much more prevalent probably today, um, and as you said, we have a lot more parental involvement parents are dictating schedules parents are dictating what what team you're going to play for in the summer there's all those things right Mm -hmm. um i think it comes back to a lot of the principles we talked about earlier which number one control the controllables i think that's the biggest thing and having having that conversation with parents that look here's what i control here's what you control at the end of the day i've met very very few parents that don't want what's best for their kid. I've met very few coaches that don't want to see kids succeed. I I, I think they like, to your point, they all want to see the same thing. They want to see a good experience. They want to see success for the kid. And I think when you operate from a foundation of, we're trying to work together to make this an enjoyable experience for all, we at least have a foundational principle. Mm -hmm. Now the perception is the big part. How do we get that perception to match both sides? And, and I, the first thing that comes to mind is empower, empower kids to have really honest conversations, and sometimes that means, hey, you're not going to see the floor. Sometimes that means, hey, you're going to play five minutes, and that's what I see your will be. And it's the old adage of, you know, say what you do, and then do what you say. Yep. I think sometimes we fall into the trap of wanting to tell people what they want to hear to protect feelings when in reality, people aren't always going to like the feedback that you have. And if they can't take that or won't take that, then it's going to be a really tough experience. I think beyond that, it's trust you. You can have honest conversations with kids and kids can have honest conversations with you. They learn how to have those same conversations at home. Um, Just from personal experience here, I very much thought about transferring my freshman year at Concordia um, when I stopped playing so many minutes. I very much uh, had conversations um, or mentioned it to my, my parents at times. And to my credit or to my parents' credit, they said, you know what, that's a conversation that you need to have with Coach. Um, I didn't have that conversation. I just spent time in the gym and, and worked my way through it. And I think that's one of the other big things I see when you're trying to get parents on your side. When you encourage kids to have conversations with you and parents, you take out the middle person, right? Yep. When it is, it is just parent and just adult and you leave the kid out, I don't see a lot of good that happens with that. So I think really to simplify that, it's, communication say what you're going to do do what you say and and be consistent in that and then really control the controllables that you can
0: Mm -hmm. well and i think again one of the things that i've learned is have those i I would much rather have a five to ten minute uncomfortable conversation and and have to say it to a to a player hey billy uh, I know you have aspirations of starting on on varsity this year, but I'm going to be honest with you: uh, you're, you're going to play JV, and and I don't even know if you're going to be a swing player. Um, yeah. Here's here now, Billy. Uh, here here's the the things that i think you do well here's the here's here's the two or three things that are holding you back and you have to get better at these two or three things if you want to give yourself a chance but you do have some positive attributes i want you to to emphasize those positive attributes while you work on those uh skills that you uh need to develop in order to become a better player and to to make that move up but I don't want you to be caught off guard when we hand out uniforms next week. Uh, This is, this is where you are. uh, Now you have every opportunity. You have 50 some practices and 20 some games to change our mind, go out there and change our mind, you know? And, and those conversations are hard because most of the time we like almost all the kids that we coach uh, on a personal level, but the, one of the hardest things that we have to accept as, as coaches is we have to speak the truth at all times. Otherwise we lose credibility with our players as well.
1: Yeah, 100%. I I think with that too, as you explain some of that too, Marty, the the other thing that comes to mind for me is having some type of philosophy, some type of of mission that you practice from and, and being, being really clear about, Hey, This is how I approach things. This is how I run things. If you like that, you're going to have a good experience. If you don't like this philosophy, that's going to be a lot tougher. And I I can understand that. Um, one of the things I do just as, as an individual, anytime I meet with somebody, I say, Hey, I'm going to get to know you for the next hour. And at the end, if you don't like the way I talk or my philosophy, you should tell me you don't want to talk to me again, because I'm not going to be able to, to, to work with you. And you're not going to get the benefit you're looking um, for from me. And I think when you have that type of authenticity and that type of genuineness and you give people the choice, if they choose to be there, they're going to to buy in. If they tell you they don't, they don't get that same vibe and they choose not to be there, you're saving yourself headaches in the future.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great place to, to wrap it up, Mr. Bird. Um, terrific stuff, Tyler, uh, just, uh, so I've got a bunch of stuff running down. Like I said, you know, we, we, we haven't even wrapped up this year, and you've already given me some ideas uh, about some things for next year. So uh, thanks, for, thanks for throwing a big old matzo ball in the middle of my melon during the, the postseason run here, buddy. I really appreciate that.
1: Perfect. I, I hope you can implement a little bit of it. And, <laughs> and like I, I, I tell every coach and team I work with, my job is just to increase the odds. Um, what individuals do with it, I hope it's helpful for them.
0: Absolutely. Tyler, if, uh, if folks want to know more about your practice, if they want to talk to you further about these things, if they would like to uh, maybe have you come in and talk to their teams or some of their players or something like that, uh, how, would they, how would they find out more about you, uh, about your, your practice, and, and all, this, all the great stuff that you do for uh, the young people around the Omaha area?
1: Yeah, I think the the best way to get a hold of me is TheThinkShrink.com. dot com. Um, it's it's been a pretty catchy one, so yep. uh, if anyone wants to email me, Tyler at TheThinkShrink.com is a great way to get a hold of me.
0: Awesome, awesome, great stuff, Tyler. It's it's uh, it's great to talk to you. Uh, I, I hope this is. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed your uh, podcasting experience here.
1: I love it. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I hope a lot of people can get some useful information from it.
0: Well, I know I know they will because this was this was a terrific conversation. Uh, Tyler Bird, uh, the Think Shrink, uh, really really good stuff there. Complete Wellness, uh, a lot of great stuff that Tyler does for our community here in Omaha. And uh, you know if you're if you would like to know more, like I said, just just find him. It's it's a simple couple of Google searches and and you'll find it and and you won't be disappointed because Tyler uh, more than anything else he's. Tyler is great at his job, but he's an even better human being. And and you will not regret trusting your uh, your program, uh, yourself, your players uh, to, to 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 coach. I'm going to call him Coach Bird. Uh, to Coach Bird here, uh, honorary Coach Bird, a pen and a napkin, Coach Bird, uh, because he does he just does a terrific job with everything that he does. So, uh, Tyler Bird. Episode number 210, it's been a great uh, discussion here. Of course, we want to thank our founding sponsor, Cosec Chiropractic. Uh, If you're in need of any services, give them a call, 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter at a pen and a napkin. Download, rate, review this one. Questions, comments, suggestions, or ideas, email me at napkin at gmail.com. Uh, great episode. We we zigged a little bit here this week, but I thought it would be great to talk about the psychology of sport as, as a lot of us are heading into postseason and things that we can do to help get our teams in the right frame of mind. And, and sometimes by by this point, we've implemented all the X's and O's that we're going to implement. So let's, let's take a a, a little extra step on that mental side of things and and what are some things that we could take from there. So uh, coaches, I hope you've enjoyed this coaches as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day. I don't know.